A content warning before we begin. This episode does touch on the subject of death, so please take care while listening. Welcome to That's So Chronic with me, Jess Bryan. If you're new around here, on the final Tuesday of every month, we take a break from the regular patient interviews to share a That's So dot 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 episode. It's a chance to break down a piece of content that's in our That's So Chronic world, like a book, a film, a podcast, literally anything and everything. Today, we are discussing Dr. Tony Lindsay's latest book titled The Certainty Myth. Yay! Welcome back. I seriously love creating these episodes, so it means a lot that you are here listening and supporting. Also, side note, before we crack into the episode, I'm really sorry if you can hear anything in the background. I'm recording this on a Saturday evening, and apparently my neighbours have decided that they are opera singers now. So, uh, sorry if you can hear anything in the background, but hopefully it should be okay. Now, I am really excited to share this book with you all, and of course my interview with Dr. Tony. The Certainty Myth is a self-help manual for people who are struggling with the uncertainty that arrives in their lives. There's no denying that we collectively as a world have gone through the most extreme event of uncertainty. Of course, I'm talking about the pandemic. But for a lot of us, me included, and probably some of you listening, and probably the majority of the guests that I've interviewed, have all gone through periods of uncertainty in terms of health as well. And then there is another big part that ties in with uncertainty. And that is the fact that one day we are all going to die. Now, apologies if that comes across a bit blunt or dramatic, but it is something that I find myself thinking a lot about. And while it does fuel me and really motivate me to go out there and live my best life, it can also be quite a bit of a roadblock for people. And this is where Dr. Tony comes in. Dr. Tony Lindsay is a clinical and health psychologist who has been working with both adults and adolescents for over 10 years. Currently, she is working at Chris O'Brien Lifehouse in the oncology service and is a specialist in the care of adolescents and young adults with cancer. She is a really awesome person, which you will soon hear for yourself. She has taken some of her knowledge, as well as the things that she's learned from her patients and the work that she does, to bring it all together into this handy dandy around 200 page book. I was immediately on board with the tone and the vibe of the book. There's basically no jargon, which I really, really appreciate after spending many, many hours in this past month deep in epidemiology study and research papers. Oh my goodness. So there's no jargon and it's really helpful, proven strategies that are backed by science that you can implement to relieve some of the anxiety that comes with uncertainty. I also found that this book helped me understand a bit more about how I react to certain situations and I feel like I'm able to acknowledge some things that happen for me now which is really cool and I'm really grateful for the certainty myth being able to teach me those things. So with all of that being said I was super excited to meet Tony and ask her all about herself and the book. So here's our interview. 
Tony, thank you so much for being on That So Chronic. I know that it's always so annoying when people ask you to introduce yourself, but I'm really curious, how would you describe what it is, the work that you do? Cool. Awesome. And thank you so much for having me, Jess. I'm very pumped to be, I'm like a massive podcast fan generally, so I'm like all about the podcast life. Yay! Probably the work that kind of, or the way that I can capture myself the best is, so for the past kind of... 10 to 15 years, I've been working primarily um, in a cancer and oncology space and working with predominantly young people, but I guess people from all ages around kind of managing the kind of emotional headspace psychology bits of living with illness and living with uncertainty primarily. And I guess kind of at different times I've done bits of other pieces of work, but one of the things that um, I've noticed, hence the book, has been very much around this kind of role of uncertainty showing up in lots of different spaces and definitely in the time that I've been in oncology land have noticed this shift from kind of acute illness into a more chronic kind of managing this stuff long term, which actually kind of brings lots of challenges as its own, as your listeners are kind of very much across. Yeah. What inspired you to start working in, is it psych oncology? Yeah. So um, I guess psych oncology is a a really awesome space in psychology. And I'm going to say that because of course I'm there and, you know, but it's one of those spaces where most of the people I bump into are actually people who are just going about their lives and then something happens to them. And sometimes that thing is a small interruption in life. And sometimes that's a massive, massive interruption in life. And I was actually really drawn early on into working with young people in this space because, you know, the impact of disruption at that time in people's lives is, you know, yeah, the layers of that are actually really, really complex in terms of, you know, if we think about really simple stuff from everything from who you are as a kind of person as to what your relationship is with parents and friends and people and healthcare teams and, and, you know, what you're doing with your life when you're spending a lot of time in hospital or unwell. And so I actually have, was always really drawn into that space. And then the longer I've kind of been in it, actually noticing those, um, I guess, patterns of how people make sense of stuff is actually really, and it possibly to the outside looking in is often a bit of an odd thing to think but it's actually really lovely work to do with people you know I'm meeting people in these really kind of challenging times but at the same time that's often the space in life where we actually have the most capacity to do really nice work together. And I can only imagine that you must be quite a strong person as well to be able to handle probably some of the situations that you are also witnessing like especially if a young person has just been diagnosed with cancer and might unfortunately pass away or experience sort of hardships moving forward. That must be quite a lot for you to also sort of be a part of the team. Yeah, absolutely. It's definitely, um, and I guess this is one of those things which in some ways I can kind of align slightly with our patients in the sense that I started doing this work when I was quite young. So I actually don't know what life would have looked like had I not done that work, right? But, um, But I guess one of the things I've noticed about myself is that kind of to show up and do this work you almost need to parallel some of the processes of how people living in this space make sense of things. So yeah. I've actually learned loads from my patients in terms of really think, simple things around where well, you kind of show up and do what's important, right? Because you don't know what time looks like or you don't know how well you might be tomorrow. So you do that thing today or, yeah. you know, prioritizing relationships over things and, you know, all of that stuff that all of my patients talk with me all of the time. And I think kind of by proxy, that stuff has actually enabled me to do this work for as long as I have because yeah. actually the way you show up to it looks really different. 
the the main thing for me, and this probably sounds a bit kind of strange, but actually I just genuinely enjoy being in a room with people and having those conversations. And it's yep. so I feel like sometimes the world is this kind of swirling mess of stuff. But in the therapy room, it's just you and another human and you're just kind of in there in that moment. And that, regardless of how long I've been doing that, there's something about that curiosity in that space. It's actually just... So even when things are really hard, it's still a really nice space to be. Yeah. Oh, that is amazing. So The Certainty Myth, your book. It's not. It's actually not your first book that you've written. You have written another couple of books, one called Cancer, Sex, Drugs and Death, as well as The Cancer Companion. Where does The Certainty Myth fit into these books that you've written? So... The certainty piece, or the uncertainty piece as it usually shows up in my line of work, one of the, if I think about what I talk with my patients about, it would be very unusual for me to go through a session where we don't talk about uncertainty in some way, yeah. shape or form, right? And that that can be uncertainty around really simple things like if I take this medication, how, do, how am I going to feel and how do I cope with that? Or it could be really bigger existential stuff around, I don't know what's going to happen to me, what happens when I'm not here, what happens to my world after I'm not here. And so that uncertainty piece is something that kind of shows up really consistently. And what I noticed over the last couple of years is that that thing that shows up in our clinic room all of the time was then showing up in all of these other places as well because everyone in the world was panicking and anxious and worried and and some of that is around you know the pandemic stuff but much more of it was the actual flow of the pandemic stuff and what kind of happened to us when we're in these funny spaces for a long time and the thing that kind of I guess I've observed and I suspect many people in the world have has observed sorry is that this uncertainty thing is always there right we just don't know about it and so we work really hard in our lives to control things and make stuff kind of manageable. And so we feel like we're kind of on top of everything, but the reality is we're never really on top of anything. And you know, this uncertainty stuff is gonna turn up when we least expect it. And so the idea kind of came out of that around, well, maybe I could take some of that oncology stuff and how I've watched people bump into this for years and translate that into a, well, maybe maybe we could use this in our lives generally. I thought it was really interesting, just thinking about COVID, is that when you wrote in the book how a lot of the patients that you see, you were kind of, you, you went into the situation thinking like, oh no, like COVID might be the tip of the iceberg, like this might really push them over the edge. But actually the patients that have been dealing with uncertainty in their own health for a while were actually almost like primed and ready for this COVID uncertainty and how interesting that was. Yeah, absolutely. Because it's so paradoxical, right? You would imagine that this stuff would kind of compound on top of each other. Whereas actually for most of my patients, it actually went the other way where they were like, oh, COVID. Yeah, no, that's fine. Yeah. And actually for some people, it was this really interesting moment in time where people actually got insight into what it was to, to be living with this really tricky, complex thing. And so lots of my patients actually found that their friends and their people could actually identify and go, oh, wow, this must be what this is like for you all yes. of the time. And unfortunately, I think that for lots of my patients, that's probably been short lived. You know, there was an acuteness yeah. of that. And then people have gone back to their lives and have kind of forgotten some of it. But actually, I think for lots of people, it was really validating to see people recognize the struggle in all of this and how hard this stuff is. Yeah, definitely. And it was also kind of confronting, like as a person that lives with a chronic illness, mm. for everyone to suddenly sort of understand and then 
be like, oh, wow, like my life is kind of different. Like that it took a whole pandemic for people to be like, oh, that's how Jess lives or yeah. whatever. Yeah, absolutely. How did you find, I, I know I'm not meant to be asking the questions, but you know, you know, <laughs> a bit of an occupational hazard. Um, how did you find that experience? Because did you find it, like, like you said, it's kind of a bit unnerving and a bit strange, but have people sh- kind of shifted how they engage with you now around that stuff? I think that it was short-lived. <laughs> yeah. 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 I think it was um, people understood and then I think their lives were able to just kind of like go back yeah. and it's been a bit confronting being at that point where maybe life hasn't gone back and I'm watching everyone else's lives go back. So then you get a bit confused because you were living in this COVID reality that sort of shifted, but I'm still living in the MS reality. So. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah, yeah, it's been an interesting experience for sure. Yeah, definitely. I wonder, um, and I guess we don't know the answer to this yet, but I wonder what the kind of those transitions will be like. Because I think, you know, like we were saying before, right, like entering these worlds of kind of illness and um, the complexity around that is a bit of a bumpy entry. But then people get kind of a space and they work out how to manage it. But then this kind of world shifting around them stuff is actually really complex and it's good I suspect it will be you know lots of people might actually struggle with that some of that kind of re-entry stuff again yeah definitely so your book the certainty myth I was really fortunate to receive an advanced copy of your book I felt very lucky that that (laughs) came into my mailbox Mm -hmm. But I'm going to be completely honest with you. It sat on my desk and I don't know why, but I just couldn't bring myself to read it. And then it wasn't until a couple of weeks ago when uncertainty like literally came knocking and I was just, I had a week of just feeling so anxious about things that felt uncertain for me. And I looked over and it was like, Ah, like a halo <laughs> over your book. Yeah. It's like, this is the time yeah. to sit down and read the book. And I okay. literally couldn't put it down. I read it all in a day. Okay. And I just read and read and read. And it was so comforting and I got so much out of the book. So I also want to say thank you so much for writing the book. It has definitely helped me. But as I was reading the book on the first few pages, I was like, okay, I like Dr. Tony. Like she is part of my team. I really like her. And I'm not sure if it's like a really weird thing to say to you. But I then started thinking, is that something that you have to think about when you're reading the book? How you're going to develop this trust with the reader? sort of at the top of the book? Well, okay, that that was a lot. Um, So I'm just going to say thank you for a start. I'm feeling like, you know, that kind of sense of humble you know, yep. slightly embarrassed vibe. So, you know, yeah. we're classic New Zealand and Australia. Type yeah, yeah, of totally. And we can, you know, I'll, you know, in keeping with the book, I'll name my discomfort around that and we'll, you know, <laughs> um, it's really interesting because I, when, you know, I, I think about most interactions in a kind of therapy context. And so a huge part of building kind of trust in therapy is that you are kind of built like very consciously working to build those relationships right yeah and it's really tricky in the writing stuff because you don't have all of those other cues that kind of help that and I'm actually really reassured to hear that that was your experience because I guess it's always a bit of a kind of gamble around you know how do you frame this stuff and I um as perhaps you and the listeners are getting a bit of sense of I'm a pretty relaxed kind of go with the flow kind of human which works really nicely in a therapy space but is a bit harder to capture in a book space because you have to kind of be quite deliberate about it and so in the kind of short answer to that question is possibly 
I'm not sure, but I'm glad that it did. Um, yeah. <laughs> but yeah, I, I think there is something about, I guess, thinking about the universality of those experiences, right? Like in around, you know, the way that uncertainty shows up for me, it will be different to the way it shows up to you and for other people, but probably there's some commonality in there yeah. around how we actually experience that thing. And I think most of the time in life, as if we come at things as humans rather than as our professions or as, you know, actually you can most of the time that will steer you in the right direction. Yeah. And it was also the exclamation marks for me. I was like, I love a good exclamation mark and someone that's not frightened to use one. Yeah, no, absolutely. I'm not sure that you would, uh, my team would agree with you because I often send emails with lots of exclamation marks and a lot of smiley faces. And I think, you know, sometimes people are like, okay, you can dial that down. So I'm really reassured to hear that. And I will be using that in future as a, yeah, people really like this. This is great. Yeah. You can like quote me if you need yeah, to. Yeah, no, absolutely. Yeah. <laughs> I've never written a book before. How long is the process to coming up with the idea, writing it, and then it suddenly being on my kitchen table in New Zealand? Um, So the process, so they're kind of two really separate pieces, right? Like the actual process of writing it, I think depending on what you're writing vibe is, Mm -hmm. um, depends a little bit on how quickly that happens. So I would say I'm relatively fortunate in the sense that I actually find writing really enjoyable and quite like the process. So I often can write relatively quickly, but I also use, um, I'm not sure whether you've heard of um, Amanda Palmer, who I think was actually a resident of New Zealand for quite a lot of lockdowns. Yes. So she wrote a book a couple of years ago. And one of the things I took out of it was her process was that she would, um, you know, write a thousand words, go to the coffee shop, have a coffee, write another thousand words, move coffee shops and kind of repeat that process until she'd done whatever she was doing for the day. And I actually thought that's such an awesome way of looking at this, right? Like in doing these kind of bite-sized chunks. So that's very much how I kind of approach it. The actual, because I guess I feel like um, sometimes book life is a little bit like this mysterious world that no one quite knows how to navigate. And I'm not completely convinced that I know that either, by the way. But but yeah, the actual process of publishing is actually a relatively long process. So it takes kind of a year to 18 months from the time that the book's accepted until it's published. Because there's a bunch of editing and, you know, back and forth and, you know, people making it actually look like a book um, and doing typesetting and all of that stuff. So, yeah, so that process is a relatively long process. But, yeah, it's a – I'm, you know, I'm relatively newcomer into this publishing world, but it's actually really – it's a really interesting space that I'd never really thought about lots of the kind of machinations of what goes on behind the scenes before. And I guess learning about that time frame kind of proves that the pandemic wasn't the driving force behind writing this book. This is something that you've been seeing for a long time, even before that major event happened for all of us. Yeah, absolutely. And it's definitely, um, you know, to give a shameless plug, you know, if you read The Cancer Companion, that stuff is very much there and present and the uncertainty yeah. stuff is very much the landscape in that. And so, yeah, absolutely. the This stuff wasn't, definitely didn't come out as a result of the pandemic. It was just that the pandemic probably highlighted the stuff that was already there, if that makes sense. So as I'm reading the book, I get to the part, it's towards the beginning, where we're talking about the red pill and the blue pill. (laughs) And I'm like, ah, shit, I cannot work out whether I'm a red pill or a blue pill. I think I'm a bit of both. And then I flick over the page and you're like, ah, wouldn't it be simple if we were one or the other? Yeah, yeah. I'm wondering if you would be able to explain a little bit about this analogy of how there could be these two separate types of 
ways to engage with uncertainty. You've kind of hit the metaphorical nail on the head, right? Like the this stuff would be uber simple if we were consistent and it made yeah. sense to us, right? Like that would be awesome. People like me probably wouldn't have jobs. But the reality is that depending on what we're bumping into changes how we turn up to the world, how we see ourselves, how we kind of respond to stuff. So for those people who haven't seen The Matrix, there's this kind of idea of you can have this pill that kind of shows you this this whole world of matrixy type things. I'm assuming there's no spoilers here since the movie came yeah. out like 25 <laughs> years ago. Um, and Or you can have the pill that kind of essentially just keeps everything very calm and very there's no questions here and everything's fine. Most of us at different times in our lives, whether we want to take the pill or not, are faced, you know, we're thrown into that world. And so this kind of space around how we then navigate that is really tricky and Part of what I've observed in people, both from an kind of oncology perspective, but also from a life perspective, is that the main piece in all of this is turning up with flexibility rather than having specific things that are going to work for every situation. Because I don't know about you, but I've never found those specific things that work for every single thing we bump into. Yeah. Because right? <laughs> that's just not how this rolls. And so actually finding that capacity to go, you know what, I'm just going to be really open to whatever shows up here. And I'll deal with that thing rather than having expectations or thoughts or... And even, you know, as I observe and I suspect most people will identify with this, the thing that you are turning up with today might actually look different to the thing you turn up with tomorrow and next week, depending on... Like you were kind of giving that example, right? Some days you just have something that happens that actually throws all of that stuff into a different space. Yeah, definitely. And that's kind of, you know, part of... And part of, I hope, people get out of the book is that space of... There's no right answer here. This isn't about fixing, but it's about how, how can we show up with this and how, how can we be flexible in how we show up with it? You touched on it a little bit before about metaphors and there were some excellent metaphors in you. your book. I thought I would just share with you some of my favorite ones. Okay, cool. I really loved that some anxiety is okay and it's kind of like rain and how we need the rain so that things can grow. But if we were suddenly faced with a life where it was just raining 24-7, like maybe that would be not ideal. Mm -hmm. I also really, really loved the dirt roads turning into highways with the connections and sort of about the cognitive flexibility. But my overall favourite one, which has stuck with me and I've thought about it every day since I read The Certainty Myth, is the one about leaving your house and how when you leave your house and you drive to wherever you need to drive or you walk or, you're, or you cycle or you, you get the bus or whatever, chances are there's going to be some red lights. You're not going to be able to get the green lights all the time. And if you just stayed at home and you waited until you knew for sure that there would only be green lights, then that would be ridiculous. And how we can sort of take that metaphor to be a little bit about our life as well. And so I was curious, do psychologists love a good metaphor? <laughs> <laughs> we do. Um, I think, and I often kind of think about this myself, but also kind of have this conversation with other kind of psychologists, is that we think about thinking in a way that most people do not think about thinking, right? Like this is, yeah. so I think actually sometimes to translate the stuff that we're thinking about thinking and this kind of metacognition stuff, we need to come up with metaphors because otherwise it won't make any sense to anyone. Yeah. So, so there's a bit of a translatory kind of piece in there. I think, though, that the other utility of metaphors is that we can actually relate to them, right? Like, and it's interesting that you've kind of said, well, these, these are the ones that relate for me, because my guess is if somebody else read the book, they'd go, oh, no, actually, this one is more rent. You know? yeah. So yeah. I think there is something about 
kind of how how we kind of process information and how we kind of understand concepts and ideas that actually make these things kind of feel really like say tangible for lack of a better word but kind of we can feel really connected to them and it's really interesting you say the one about the green lights right because I think actually that's something that by and large people do get and I you know I'm pretty sure to hear you you say that you use it because I use it as well that kind of like okay what am I waiting for here like yeah is this ever going to be perfect probably not so off you go (laughs) yeah yeah and like we're not going to be able to know what's going to happen in the future when we leave our house and that maybe we don't need to know either like that's okay yeah yeah it's a really interesting kind of idea right because I think one of the kind of things that's become really evident to me not not only through work but I guess in life in general is that we always cope better than what we think we're going to we kind of we kind of underestimate our ability to cope and overestimate how terrible everything's going to be and actually usually it's the inverse of those things that's actually true right and so I think that the, you know, part of that idea of the, well, kind of, we just need to do it anyway, is that even if you bump into something difficult, you'll cope with it, you know, like, and I don't want to put you on the spot, but, you know, I would imagine if somebody had have said to you before your diagnosis, hey, this thing's going to happen to you, your brain would have went, oh my God, I'll never cope with that, right? Like that would be, yeah. But then you're here and you're living with it and you're managing it and you're managing it well. And so we often have that, like, there's quite a significant disparity in those things. And I think, um, that's part of managing this uncertainty stuff, right? Is actually going, you know what? Probably when stuff turns up, I'll just deal with it. And that's what, yeah. that's what we do. Yeah, because a lot of the time you just have to as well. <laughs> yeah, totally. That's what I often say to my patients. Like, well, you've got a choice here. You could run away to Mexico. Yeah. Probably not a great choice, but you, you can, right? But most of the time, actually, people are forced into spaces that are hard and difficult. And we just, you know, work out how to come up with stuff around them yeah and by running away to Mexico you're kind of just delaying the inevitable like you might not be able to live there forever because visas and stuff so you're gonna have to come back and then you have to deal with it at some stage yeah and one of the things um I guess has become quite evident for many people I've spoken to is that avoidance is rarely a helpful strategy (laughs) it's a very good short-term strategy very rarely a good long-term strategy yeah After finishing the book, I got a sense that it wasn't about completely removing anxiety or uncertainty from your life. It was just knowing that it might crop up for you and having some tools on how you could manage it. What do you hope that readers will take away from reading The Certainty Myth? I would actually agree with you. I actually, I would really like that people at the end of this go, you know what, I'm okay. Yeah. It doesn't it doesn't need to be I think if you like if I conceptualize the situations that I find people in, I find myself in, you find yourself in, it's actually really reasonable that we turn up with anxiety or with worry or with struggle. That's actually you know, that's us being humans and that's our yeah. brains doing their jobs. So if they weren't doing that, I'd actually be really, really worried and concerned. Yeah. <laughs> and so, and in actual fact, if somebody does turn up and they've got big stuff happening and they're like, no, I'm fine. I'm like, really? No, yeah. no, no, that's not okay. <laughs> Something is missing here. Because actually that's kind of part of our job and part of being human. And so absolutely, I, I, I mean, I suspect people wouldn't, you know, if they read the back, they wouldn't have that expectation. But I think if people pick up the book thinking, 
this is going to get rid of all of the anxiety and uncertainty in my life. They'll, a, they'll probably be a bit disappointed. <laughs> but B, I think actually the expectation about how that can be is probably a little bit off. And so I actually hope that people do get to the end of the book and go, okay, this tricky stuff's showing up. That's okay. I'm okay. Yeah. I can manage it. In this moment, I can do something with that. I might not know what's going to happen in you know five minutes or five years or 15 years, but right here and right now, I'm okay. And that's, you know, and I think that's kind of all we can do as humans most of the time is to kind of show up in that space, right? Yeah. You share a story of a patient of yours that hadn't left the house for, say, 30 years and they were eventually diagnosed with cancer and that when they were looking back on their life, they sort of thought it was a bit of waste of time just being living their life with that fear and that anxiety of the uncertainty I guess when you told that story you mentioned that you have actually taken that story and a a little bit of that patient with you and I'm wondering probably for my final question I'm interested in what you have learned about yourself or if you've changed in any way with this work that you've done or even perhaps by creating the certainty myth that's a really good question I feel like your questions are like (laughs) You know, you just get straight to the point. I think probably um, it's actually really hard to quantify exact impacts because I think, and much like, you know, it actually parallels really nicely with that story, right? Because in the same way that that person didn't wake up one morning and say, you know what, I'm going to spend the next 30 years of my life in this house. Um, And in the same way that she didn't turn around and say, okay, well, now I've got cancer, that anxiety is going to disappear. Yeah. The things that we kind of are and the people we are tends to kind of change over time in these really small incremental ways that you often can't see. Yeah. I think possibly for me the thing that has shifted the most is just this real kind of awareness and depending on which way you look at this, you could argue that this is a really kind of hard way of looking at life or you could inversely say that's a really liberating way of looking at life in terms of recognizing we've all got short times you know we spend most of our life in this avoidance of thinking about that stuff but actually the reality is and I bump into that reality every day and so actually that's a really powerful thing to be able to say okay well how do I show up for this what do I want life to look like how do I make choices that mean that you know I get to live the life that feels important And those choices aren't necessarily easy choices. You know, we sometimes look at choices and say, you know, you know, if I think about that patient in that moment for 30 years, the easier choice was I'm going to stay in the house. But we know that that's actually the really hard choice, right? (laughs) Like the, the harder choice to walk out that front door in the moment would have been harder, but life wise would have been much easier. And so I think there's something about kind of being really aware and cognizant of if I've, if I've got limited time, as we all do, how do we spend that time? And I yeah. think that's probably, you know, you might say that that's a kind of, a, I wouldn't say a down note necessarily, but, that, you know, possibly an odd space to end an interview. But actually, I, I actually kind of identify there's something quite liberating in that because it means that we show up and we make choices and we're deliberate and intentional. And, and that's actually a really powerful thing. And it means that when kind of these tricky stuff that turns up, whether that's anxiety or uncertainty or whatever it might be, we can then kind of go, okay, I see you, you're here. Okay, what are we going to do with that? Yeah, I think it's extremely powerful. Thank you for sharing. My pleasure. 
And thank you so much for chatting to me about the certainty myth. I'm really excited for everybody to get their hands on a copy and read it themselves. Awesome. Thank you so much. Thank you. It's been lovely to chat. So the certainty myth, it is obviously a big five stars from me and I would recommend this book to anyone who is open to understanding a little bit more about uncertainty and the anxiety that surrounds it. You definitely don't need to be battling any health uncertainties because if the pandemic has shown us anything, one, it's that a lot of us were also thrown into this kind of uncertainty because of the pandemic, but it's also shown that things can just happen in the blink of an eye. And that is something that Dr. Tony actually chatted to me about off mic, is that a lot of the time she is working with people who are right in the middle of the crisis. And that, yeah, like there's no harm in learning a bit more about everything and confronting some of these things before it gets to that point. The certainty myth has just been released out to the world in September 2022. I was very kindly gifted my book from Exile Publishing. But if you're interested in reading, you can find it wherever good books are sold. Just head to the show notes for links to find out more. Thank you so much for listening to this episode of That's So Chronic. Feel free to keep this conversation going over on Instagram. I'm at That's So Chronic. I always love hearing from you all, so don't be afraid to reach out. And you might also enjoy the monthly That's So Chronic newsletter over on Substack. You can find the link to sign up to that in the show notes as well. If you have something that you think would be cool to chat about in one of these That's So episodes, feel free to send me an email. And make sure you've pressed follow on Spotify and Apple Podcasts or wherever else you're listening in from today so you never miss an episode. Have a great week and I'll see you next time.